Hello, everyone. I'm Lou Marciani, the director of the Innovation Institute for Fan Experience and host of the fan-centric podcast series. The podcast series is all about fans. What do fans want and need when they attend sports and entertainment events, including stadiums, arenas, endurance events, concerts, and festivals? Our fan-centric series takes the journey with the fan as they leave home, arrive at the venue, enjoy the event, and return home. We also discuss technology trends, medical trends, industry gaps, real-world uh, fan experiences, and technology that can address challenges facing the sports and entertainment industry and their fans. Our goal is to help the sports and entertainment industry focus on the fans. Our guest today for the Fan-Centric Podcast is Dr. Till Jolly, medical advisor for the IIFX, as well as he's the chief medical officer at Avesta. Uh, Dr. Jolly, what's your daily routine look like? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. that's an interesting question for everybody. And, and, and thanks, thanks for the introduction, Lou, and it's great to be with you. Um, you know, it's a mixed set of issues. Um, as you know, I still practice clinically in an emergency department in Northern Virginia, and 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 we're still seeing. Uh, we're very busy for lots of reasons, and and on another another podcast we can discuss staffing issues and nursing and things like that. Healthcare is a tough environment for everybody. Um, on an advisory uh, role, uh, we've been working with IFX for a long time, and and the IFX base of sports and entertainment and, and venue and and uh, league leadership. Uh, and then at Avesco, we work with a number of clients, both in and out of government. Uh, we're working very hard to interpret the science, interpret the data, um, and and really try to give people data and science-driven answers to what do we do next and what happens as COVID is changing and what's your best advice to come into the office or come into a venue or or get together with folks. And so um, still lots of information coming at us and and uh, lots of advice going out and and working with the team to, to try to give the best advice possible. Yes, and uh, you have an advisory committee that uh, you put together is fantastic. And we, all, all of us in the industry appreciate the efforts you're making. Yeah, there's an interesting group of uh, physicians who uh, work, have, have an interesting set of experience from endurance sports to professional sports to college sports, um, and, and all also with a very strong clinical bent. I'm really trying to provide, um, in this case, uh, guidance about COVID to uh, venues, sports organizations, and otherwise who really have to consider how they're going to operate in a difficult environment, but, but realize that there are a host of other public health and medical issues that that have, are frequently in the background of events, but are really need to be considered more and more as, as events take place. Yeah, you know, uh, people neglected their normal health uh, protocols during this whole COVID period. What is that going to mean to, you know, our world? Uh, they held off their cancer, maybe visits and this uh, visit here and there. What, what does that mean? Well, it's an interesting and, and we're seeing we're starting to see data now about it being a disturbing side effect of, of COVID. We know that that um, that particularly, you know, in in you know, a year ago, we tend to forget what it was like a year or so ago, but it was quite difficult. It'd be going anywhere was a, was a considered a risk and still is a risk, but it was really, really heightened at that point so badly so that people did not go to visit their doctors for routine screening. Either their doctors were not accepting in, in-person patients, 
The folks were felt it was too dangerous to go out um, and didn't have simple procedures. We saw a drop in childhood vaccinations, not because of vaccination hesitancy, but just because of the logistics of going to a pediatrician's office to get vaccinations. We saw a drop in things like screening colonoscopy and mammograms for cancers um, that practitioners now are now reporting an uptick in, in later stage diagnoses. And that's really a shame. And so the medical community is really working hard to try to get folks back in either through telemedicine or creative logistics or otherwise and messaging to get folks to get their routine health care. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. You know, there's news about the vaccine almost like, let's say daily, at least weekly. What is your message about vaccines and boosters? Well, you know, it's really vaccines have become a difficult question for many people. But for most of us who've been around this, it's quite simple. The vaccines that are approved in the United States and, and actually others that are around the world are very safe and very effective. In fact, stunningly effective compared to other vaccines. Um, the technology is not really brand new. This is technology that's been worked on in many areas, um, particularly the Pfizer and the Moderna. The, you hear about the mRNA vaccine, but it's really a technology that's been worked on and just is now sort of booming in, in success. Uh, really a good news story of science. The important thing, we talk about vaccines. The most important thing right now is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. As you know, the, the Pfizer vaccine, probably soon to be followed by others, is now available for kids 5 to 11. Very important to protect them and protect and keep them from spreading it to others um, so we can really get back to normal activity. Boosters are also very important. They're most important for folks who have weakened immune systems. And there are a lot of those folks, either based on age or based on medical condition. And there's very clear guidance and, and advice on the boosters. Um, but we don't want to lose sight with the booster discussion. Those that haven't been vaccinated yet really need to get vaccinated. Um, this is really an important, one of the most important, we have other tools, but this is probably the most important tool in our toolkit to really tamp down this, this pandemic and get it under better control. Well, you, you know, we're dealing here with the sports and entertainment industry on you know, the billions of dollars that are at stake here. And I, I noticed uh, as early as today that uh, some states are surging, right, a little bit uptick. And, and, um, and I'll just use it as an example today. Uh, I happen to be the athletic director, let's say, at, at University of Colorado, which has an uptick. What message would you suggest to me with this uptick and winter's coming, we've got indoor basketball's coming, you know, et cetera. Give me some advice that I need to make a good decisions down the road. Well, you mentioned Colorado and not to, to point out a specific uh, state and location, but Colorado and the other Mountain West states, based on the data, are where we're right now seeing an upsurge in cases. Yes. Now, everyone needs to realize that just because you're in a place that has a downtick in cases, that doesn't mean yes. it's over. It, you may well get a wave in the coming weeks to months for various reasons. This happens in public health crises. But right now, the, the from a number standpoint, the worst area is really the Mountain West in the U.S. Colorado's experiencing great strain on its healthcare system, as are other Mountain West states. If you're at the University of Colorado or any other major institution or a smaller institution in those areas, the first important thing is to really look at your data, engage your internal public health and scientific experts, whether they're in your university or people you engage. This is not the time to let go of your team that's been managing COVID. This is the time to really speak to your scientists, the ones that you trust, the ones that have gotten you to this point, and, and discuss what the data means for you. 
That also means engaging your local and state public health experts. These are folks that want to work with you. They want primarily public health and safety to be maintained, but they don't want to stop everything. They've seen the effects of stopping things both economically and socially and otherwise, and they want to work with you to make things as safe as possible. So this is a time to really reach out to um, local and state expertise. And then one other point to make, I think we realize that a large university, um, a large college, other organizations are really centers of community and are very good communicators. Um, and, and communicate the good that they do. They work with local partners, they work with nonprofits, and they really communicate about good causes. And this is an opportunity to really be part of the solution and to use that communications infrastructure and skill to coordinate with the messages of, of the public health authorities and encourage vaccination, encourage masking, encourage uh, a good, smart behavior, and really be be a part of a, a of, of an important solution because use that communications infrastructure you've got and really push out important messages. Yeah. You know, as we, what do you think the next few months look like and, and, and take us out maybe in your mind, uh, at least a year out we're, we're, we're doing a podcast a year from now. What, what we'll be talking about with this uh, COVID uh, issue. What do you think? Yeah, you know, we, we advise a number of uh, organizations, and, and I get asked a version of this question with relative frequency. I, I have joked a bit that I haven't purchased a crystal ball to show yet, yeah. um, but, you know, I, and I don't have one. I think the first thing I've said in, in many of those settings with our Aveshka clients is, if somebody's telling you exactly what's going to happen, um, you probably shouldn't listen to them um, because they don't really know. However, I think you look at sort of expert opinion, um, and what has happened in other infectious diseases. Um, and you can think through what's happening now and try to project the, project the next few months. We will likely see waves of infection um, more locally and regionally than nationally, perhaps because of vaccine uptake over the coming months. Winter is coming. We know that respiratory viruses like the winter because people are closed inside, they're mixing inside and, and ventilation is not so good. Um, and that encourages the spread of respiratory viruses um, around here. It's not because of the cold weather directly. It's because, of, although it may have a little effect, it's really the effect of mixing inside spaces. Um, we do have the added burden of flu. Um, influenza didn't really happen last year because we were all separated and we had masks and we were really protecting against respiratory viruses. We're probably going to start to see some flu this year because we're going to put people together. Flu shots are very important. And, you know, hospital systems that are overburdened with COVID right now do not need flu on top of it. That's just that's that's a recipe recipe for a bigger disaster. Um, you know, over the coming year, we're not going to completely get rid of COVID. I think the general consensus is that COVID is going to be part of the set of diseases we see and illnesses we see in the health system for perhaps the coming years. Um, but with more with broader vaccination, with uh, broader preparedness of the healthcare community, um, it's manageable and controllable. So I think we'll still be talking about it and we will still have to watch the data and still maybe have local outbreaks where schools get shut down for a few days, but that's actually not unusual either. That happens in flu outbreaks. We, this is not the first time schools have had to close at least for short periods of time for, for an infectious problem. Um, but but it's so, you know, over the coming months, this could be a tough winter. We're starting to see a little bit of an uptick 
in some areas. And as we talked about, the Mountain West is having problems right now. Um, we'll see ups and downs regionally. Um, and then perhaps as the spring comes, a little better vaccination rates and, uh, and you know, it'll be part of what we deal with, perhaps, but perhaps not something we talk about every day. Do you, do you pay attention to what's going on in other countries? Very much so. I, you know, the, it's, it's a very interconnected world. First, we care very much about, you know, the first, the sports and entertainment industry is very big in other countries. Um, and we work with partners and you do too. You have some very important partners who are throughout uh, the Pacific and, and Europe and, and Asia and otherwise. Um, many events are international events. And so we really, you know, and, and then international folks come to the U.S., for events. So, so it's an interconnected world. Um, uh, we have a number of issues to think about in other countries. Right now, Central Europe is also experiencing uptick in cases. Other countries have, have experienced a downtrend. Much the way the U.S. operates regionally and nationally, there are changes that go up and down, and you'll see curves go up and down. So Central Europe experiencing probably the worst set of outbreaks right now outside certain parts of the U.S., um, one of the big issues that, and it's an equity issue and it's a geopolitical issue um, and a money issue, which is vaccination in around the world, because we, we have, as a nation have been pushing out vaccines and that's very important. And we're even pushing out boosters. Other countries are far behind in vaccination, either because of access or money or, or, or otherwise they're not manufacturers of vaccines. And so in order to control this internationally with international travel being what it is, we really need to help and work with those other countries to get their vaccination rates up. You're right. Um, you know, you look at uh, the, the sports world and we hear cases about an individual teams with, with COVID. What should the average person really uh, need to know about that? You know, we, yeah, yeah. we've had some cases lately and what, what do you think? You know, I think it's very interesting. We, we, you know, the news cycles being what they are, the sensational cases make the news. And, uh, you know, they are largely anecdotes. Um, and I, one of the things that is not terribly scientific, but is a truism I learned one time is that anecdote is not, or data is not the plural of anecdote. Okay. So, you know, we hear the anecdotes and they're very sensational. We hear about cases of vaccinated persons who got quite sick. Well, statistically, that's going to happen a little bit, but it's far, far outweighed by the less newsworthy cases of people who don't get sick. We hear about folks that have very strong opinions that don't support vaccination, and, and they have a they they have a mouthpiece. Um, but I think we need to realize that the science, which is sometimes not as sensational, strongly supports um, and is consistent on the the power of vaccination. We're always going to hear outliers of things that didn't work so well, folks that got vaccinated who maybe got ill um, and otherwise, but it doesn't mean that things don't work. And um, we really need to not so much listen. This is true of lots of things outside of COVID. Not so much listen to the sensational story of the day um, with the loud voice, but really step back for a second, look at things in context and look at the broader statistical reality. Yeah, no question. Um, when you talk about therapeutics, you know, you've come a long way. Can maybe just fill us in a little bit what you see that what's coming down the road and what we have. Yeah, there, there actually is some quite good news on therapeutics. As, as we've talked about and we, we've done prior podcasts before, it was incredibly frustrating for the healthcare community at the beginning of this because this is a disease we did not know how to treat 
and we had no specific treatment for it. Um, we learned a lot about how to take care of some really sick people, you know, and by a remarkable, you know, things that perhaps this community doesn't see very much, although it was replicated in this community, the sharing of information around the nation and around the world, you know, of people in the sports and entertainment industry about how to survive. And in the healthcare industry, folks getting on line in all kinds of ways with providers around the country and around the world of what's working for you and what's not working for you and how do we do this was a was a rat was a very interesting side effect of of how this was managed. Now in the past few months, we've had some good news stories about therapeutics. Yes. Now there's not a cure. Um, and, and everybody would like something they can take for anything that's a cure. There's not a cure. But we've had a couple of things that have happened. One, we've gotten just better at treating folks in general because we've learned a few technique issues. Um, but there's something called monoclonal antibodies. We've had those for now months. Um, and they are quite effective at reducing the risk of hospitalization uh, among particularly higher risk folks, either based on age groups or health conditions. Um, and, um, and they are being given now probably not as much as they should be. And we've had news about, you know, news stories about perhaps some physicians not recommending them, partly because they're a little difficult to give. They require an infusion center. It's an hour infusion. So it's not just a pill you can take. Um, so it requires a facility that can do it, um, but relatively low risk um, and, and good reward. Now, you know, not statistically, there's still going to be some folks who get monoclonal antibody who are still going to have problems. Um, but it's much lower than the, the positive numbers. And recently, we've had two, two pharmaceutical companies that have developed um, antiviral drugs, pills, um, that, that are now before the FDA for what's known as emergency use authorization, which is similar to what happened with vaccines and monoclonal antibody, um, to use a five-day course, I believe, of those medications for folks who are early in their course of COVID when it's diagnosed to also try to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death and, and other bad outcomes. Um, we are hoping, you know, the FDA is moving very fast on these and we're all of the hope that, that these will get approved. So, you know, there's a lot of effort to, to creating therapeutics. And this is very good news that you, you now have something you can actually give a patient who has it rather than, you know, here's some oxygen and, you know, uh, we, we're going to, we're going to watch you and help you. So, so really advancements on that front. We're making some really good headway and uh, uh, hats off to the uh, medical community. And uh, there's no question. Um, we get a lot of requests from the youth sports industry is, you know, uh, always conscious of things. <clears throat> what advice would you give to a youth sports coach? Let's say we'll say soccer, right? Uh, given, you know, now we have opportunities for uh, vaccination for, for the kids on the team. So you're coaching a, a youth sports team. What advice can you can I can you give them? Yeah. Having coached the youth sports team before, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting, I, my hats are off to people that are doing it because uh, this is an important role. I mean, youth coaches are really great for, for kids and it's a wonderful, anybody hasn't done it. I, I suggest it because it's a wonderful experience. Um, but it can be tough too, because you got families to deal with. And now we're dealing with it in a, in a completely different context. I think one thing to do is to, you know, there are, they become almost like families. And you got to recognize there are going to be different opinions among parents about, you know, all kinds of things like playing time, but now about COVID. Um, and um, so I think one important thing is to really um, be supportive of the kids and supportive of the families and certainly learn the science. And when it comes to vaccination, 
you know, I support, obviously support vaccination. And I think a youth coach really has an ability to influence uh, folks by speaking positively. You don't need to preach about this, but to speak positively about, uh, about what is happening scientifically, how to support kids and getting vaccinated, encourage the message, help folks find information if they feel they need it, because there are communities where in, in truth, you know, wealthier communities have plenty of resources, but there are plenty of communities where the youth sports coach may well be the leading adult, you know, figure for a set of kids. We know this is true in many communities around the country. And it's really an opportunity to influence those kids' lives for this and in many other ways. Yeah, no, I, I, you're 100% right. Um, on a bigger scale, you know, Beijing is coming here uh, soon here for the Winter Olympics. Uh, what uh, do you expect uh, health-wise? Well, you know, I think, um, we, you know, we've been through an Olympics, obviously, without much in the way of spectators. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that this will evolve in Beijing. I think we learned a lot from those Olympics and from getting folks together. And then you think, look at other events that are going on internationally with athletes together, things like Ironman and, and, um, and team sports and, and otherwise that are going on internationally, I would encourage all federations and, and uh, organizers to really look at those lessons. Um, first, very much encourage vaccination, uh, you know, and certain countries have different rules about those. Um, and then really support testing um, and, and contact tracing. And there are various technological methods, as we all know, of, of tracking and tracing those. Um, there are apps that are quite effective at that, um, that folks have gotten very good at using. And that's to use technology in a positive way is a great thing. And I think anybody organizing any event from Olympics to a local sports festival needs to realize you've, we've still got to be adaptable um, because things may change. It may be that by February, when the Olympics start, um, we might be in a different place quickly in the Northern Hemisphere versus the Southern, um, and tough decisions may need to be made about athletes or groups of athletes based on COVID because it's still going to be with us. No, it sure doesn't. Um, in January, uh, we're going to have a new requirement for uh, large, uh, I think it's 100 more employees required to uh, uh, be vaccinated. Uh, how should venues res best respond? Well, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, there's a public health side to this and a, and a legal and a regulatory and a politics side to this, but, you know, and there, I know that there are lawsuits and otherwise focus on this, but let's, let's put that aside for a second. And, and the rule, as I understand it, um, is that employers that have over hundred employees, because that's a, a regulatory um, thing. And it's actually thought to be di more difficult to carry out by smaller organizations, which is probably true. Um, need to either have folks vaccinated and completely vaccinated. This does not count boosters. Boosters are not part of complete vaccination by the rules at this point. Um, or uh, have a regular testing program for them For them, and, and the rules are laid out. So my advice would be, um, regardless of your opinion of, of whether this is the right way to manage things or not, this is a rule that's coming. And yeah. if you're an employer of, of that number of people, need to start planning for that. You need to have already started planning for that, whether it's continuing to encourage vaccination for your staff and putting in place a reliable, um, uh, respected method of testing and tracking and contact tracing for those who are not vaccinated. 
And, you know, this is planning ahead is important. We all know this. Everybody who's ever run an event knows you don't plan it the day before. Um, and this this fits here because this is and this is probably not something that unless you have internal scientific and health expertise, you can do on your own. I'm not saying you have to go out and buy the most expensive consultant you can find. But this is a time to engage someone who's really got experience in public health and, and contact tracing and testing to really help you to figure find the best methodology and, and how to do that. Yeah. Would you be in favor, you know, some of the stadiums are requiring people to, you know, to be vaccinated before you come into the game, uh, like uh, Las Vegas, for instance. Mm-hmm. Would you be in favor of some type of uh, compromise with uh with those who don't want to be vaccinated, at least have some rapid testing available to them at the you know, I, um, I, I'm going to give you an answer without necessarily an opinion about that, but because okay. um, it really is up to individual venues. I don't, I don't particularly have a say in it. You know, I support vaccination. I think everybody in this space should be vaccinated personally. I'll, that that's pretty obvious. Um, you know, the, the places that have chosen not to require vaccination either because of their own opinion or or their own analysis or some state requirement that they can't, which also exists in some places, um, need to figure out how to manage that. Um, you know, if you're if you're requiring vaccination, if if you're one of those that requires vaccination, no ifs, ands, or buts, you need a good way of tracking that. Now, admittedly, we don't have a foolproof electronic mechanism for doing that in this country, but Regardless, there are various companies and technologies that can store that information safely and transmit it uh, from a tracking standpoint. If if one is not, then certainly if you've got a potentially you know set of unvaccinated folks in your venue, it's it's wiser to know whether those folks are carrying infection or not. And some sort of testing program is important. And one can do testing. There are various ways to do testing within 24, 48 hours of visiting a venue and then documenting it either through a QR code or some other methodology and using that um, in, in some touchless system across your phone. So those methods do exist. I think in this case, more information to protect those in the venue, because really you're, you're you're also protecting those in the venue who have who've been trying to do the right thing and you're protesting your participants and your athletes and your entertainers. Well, Dr. Jolly, you you have provided us today some really good information as those of us that are administrators of events and regardless of whether it's uh, concerts or uh, Ironman to uh, Major League Baseball. And we want to, all of us, thank you for a couple of reasons. One, thank you for your continued advice for us at the uh, Innovation Institute and, and for the uh, great knowledge you provided here this today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you.